0: Hello, I'm Kathy, and this is Torah Talk. Welcome to Torah Talk, the intersection of the mundane and the miraculous. Here we have bold conversations about faith, culture, and politics, and where we fit into God's plans in the 21st century. If you could partner with God, would you?
1: going to talk about an issue that has prompted a great deal of discussion among those of us who are returning to the Hebraic roots of our faith. As we learn more and more about how far the institutional church has strayed from the beliefs and practices of the first century believers, we're left in a quandary. Do we stay connected to local church institutions because we simply always have done so, or because we value the relationships we've made over the years or because we simply don't have anywhere else to congregate? Or do we break with the traditional church because it does not fit with our newfound knowledge, our restructured belief system, and the new practice of our faith? It is a real problem, and frankly, each of us is left to deal with it as best we can. Now, many times on this podcast, I've shared with you Acts 3.21, where the Apostle Peter is talking to the crowd gathered in Jerusalem for Shavuot, or Pentecost, as many as you know it. He tells them that the very Jesus who had just died and been resurrected on the third day and who had returned to his Father in heaven would someday return to this earth. But this return would not happen until the restoration of all things. Yes, all things means all things. Everything has to be restored, meaning everything is out of alignment. Yeshua's return is the ultimate and final act of the great restoration. Now certainly, since Yeshua's sacrifice, many, many people have been restored on a personal basis to a relationship with their Heavenly Father. And as great as that restoration is, it's not the end, but the beginning of world redemption and restoration. The final act of restoration is exactly what Yeshua told his disciples to pray for. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Yes, it is the restoration of God's kingdom on earth, not a great escape of all believers to heaven. As the great restoration manifests itself in our lifetimes and in our personal lives, I would say that all of us who are privileged to be part of it or operating in rather uncharted territory. Let's face it, much of God's restoration work, his kingdom building on earth, has been happening since just 1948, when Israel was reestablished as a nation. That was a significant sign of the Great Restoration. Since that time, God's people have been flocking back home to Israel in increasing numbers. That's a significant sign of the Great Restoration. Then there's the other sign, the one we're caught up in. Increasing numbers of us feel as though we've been shaken awake from a spiritual coma and gently but irresistibly drawn back to the faith as it was once given to our fathers, but has since been largely abandoned. I'm talking, of course, about those of us who know Yeshua as our Messiah, but who are now returning to Torah, who are beginning to celebrate the biblical feast, who are learning how to honor the seventh-day Sabbath, who are learning how to distinguish the unclean from the clean. These are not topics discussed in most mainline churches, let alone are they any part of the faith practices of Christianity. So what do we do? We're not Jews, although we look a lot like Jews to most Christians. We're not Christians, even though we look a lot like Christians to most Jews. Who are we, and where do we fit in? Do we have an identity crisis? We're going to take a few podcasts to delve into this topic because, honestly, there seems to be different perspectives and ways of dealing with it. What I find to be very interesting is that how we deal with this identity question may differ greatly between generations. Gary and I have been privileged to be part of a forerunner generation that was right on the cutting edge of the Great Restoration, and we'll be talking about that in future podcasts, but today I'm going to be talking to someone of a different generation— This is a conversation I've had with her many times. I'm going to be talking with my daughter, Michaela. Michaela is 26 years old. When she was five years old, I began to be drawn to the Hebraic roots of my faith. And since she was with me all the time, I carried her right along with me on this journey. But of course, her perspective is different from mine. Today, I would like to share our conversation on this matter with all of you. So after this break, Let's talk to Michaela, and let's talk Torah.
2: Long ago, God declared his redemptive plans for the world he created. Unfortunately, most people have ignored these plans. Now, as the end draws near, believers and non-believers are being irresistibly drawn to the celebration of the biblical feasts, which outline God's plan of redemption for mankind and the world. If you found yourself curious about the biblical feasts and you want to know how and why Christians celebrate these holidays, read Declaring the End from the Beginning, Our Past and Future Revealed in the Biblical Feasts. In this book, author Kathy Martirosian delves into the history and culture surrounding the biblical feast days of ancient Israel as well as how Yeshua, our Messiah, has fulfilled four of these holy days in the past, and how he will fulfill the other three when he returns. Visit TorahTalk21.com to purchase Declaring the End from the Beginning, our past and future revealed in the biblical Feast.
1: So most of you have probably figured out by now that my partner Gary is not here today. And so even though we're all sad about that, we do look forward uh, to Gary being back with us next week. He's just got a lot of pressing uh, matters to take care of, but he uh, wished us his best and is praying for us, and we look forward to seeing him again next week. But as I said, I have a guest who's very special to me. She's my daughter, Michaela Hedrick. She grew up here in Florida, a true Florida girl. She received her Bachelor of Fine Arts degree from Coastal Carolina University in South Carolina. She ran a theater company called Boots on the Ground. She worked for the Florida State House of Representatives, and currently she works for Mercury Radio Arts as a writer for the Glenn Beck Program. She is 26 years old and lives in Texas with her smart, talented, and creative husband Dalton and their first puppy baby, Ridgely. Welcome to Torah Talk, Michaela.
0: Thank you. I'm so glad that Ridgely got the proper shout out.
1: Well, I I did that for Dalton and Ridgely. Yes.
0: <laughs> the smart, handsome, perfect husband, Dalton, and the smart, perfect puppy, Ridgely. Exactly.
1: So, welcome aboard, uh, Michaela. You know, as I mentioned in the opening, Uh, As we talk about this topic, I see that there are a lot of times generational differences in the response that people have to this Hebraic roots uh, movement, as they call it, this move back to the Hebraic roots of our faith. It kind of reminds me, Michaela, of the Israelites in the desert, how everybody over 20 had to die in the desert.
0: Mm. I think about this a lot now that I'm 26. (laughs)
1: Yes, really. Um, you know, it, it haunted
0: it, me on my twenty-first birthday. How unique is that? I remember turning twenty-one and thinking, Oh no, I'm going to die in the desert now.
1: <laughs> well, it is important. And of course, as I remind the audience, it's because it's very difficult to get Egypt. It was gonna be very difficult to get Egypt out of the people. God could bring the people out of Egypt with great signs and wonders, but getting Egypt out of the people, that was almost impossible, I guess, at least out of the older people. And that's exactly the kinds of things that I think we sometimes deal with as we're um, going through this process of returning to the Hebraic roots of the faith. But what's interesting in the Bible, it talks about Caleb had a different spirit And I love that concept of a different spirit that it says he followed me wholeheartedly. And that's what I think those of us who are returning to these Hebraic roots are trying to do is to follow our Heavenly Father wholeheartedly with everything we do, everything we say, every part of our being.
0: Absolutely agreed.
1: Now I was wondering, Michaela, Could you share with the audience your perspective of, I'm just going to call it, all this Hebraic stuff as a child growing up? Just share some of your memories and and what you uh, were thinking at the time as a child uh, from a child's perspective.
0: It was pure joy. Really, I take great pride in the community that I was raised in, and I mostly remember the evolution of yours from being perhaps a more standard Christian as far as theology goes to, well, whatever we are. That's the purpose of this podcast. Whatever <laughs> whatever, whatever we, we are. are. <laughs> uh, so I remember no longer eating pepperoni pizza at pizza day at school and I remember the Christmas tree shrinking incrementally year by year. But other than those few things, I don't have much memory before we were Torah observant. So most of my childhood that I have a memory of is connected to Torah. So I have positive associations with the Sabbath and with Pesach and with Sukkot. And instead of perhaps the traditional Christian having positive memories with Sunday church and Easter and Christmas, I don't have those. I remember dancing with the Torah and with tambourines and blasting shofars. And I look back on those things fondly. So my nostalgia, which I think is unique, because maybe your generation still has nostalgia for Christmas and Easter, but my nostalgia is for a youth that was Torah observant. And I think that gives me a real leg up on an emotional front.
1: Absolutely. And I totally agree with you that my generation has a nostalgia for those other things because those were the things that we did growing up. So the sitting around the Christmas tree uh, and looking at the lights and listening to the music, there's a lot of warm, wonderful feelings associated with that, that. Although we did have a Christmas tree early on in your life. I think by the time you were five or six, we it was getting smaller, as you said. Um, it was shrinking. It was shrinking, literally. Each year it got smaller <laughs> and smaller, right? And then it wasn't there anymore. So that would be a very different experience that I've had. I think it's the same thing that we were just talking about with the Israelites in the desert. Uh, those who were older had all of these memories of Egypt. And those are really, really difficult to get rid of. Yet at the same time, I had all of the memories that you had, too. We had a ministry. um, Michaela grew up in my ministry literally called Project Restoration that God gave to us. And when she was quite little and in the whole point of the ministry, it was a performing arts ministry. So that fit, fit great into Michaela's personality, because uh, she got to dance and perform. So that was fun. That was all joy, I think, as you were saying. <laughs> yes. But, um, so those were very, very positive memories for me too. It's just that I had many more years of the other memories. So those are, were hard to get are hard to get past. And I, I'm not so positive I even want to get past the good feelings and the good memories.
0: No, I just don't have the experience that so many people who are part of this movement have of missing a way of life, because my way of life that I still participate in is the way of life that I was raised in. So I have empathy for how difficult that could be. But it is not my experience
1: you know, it's interesting. I said that there's generational differences, but it's also true that many of your age, you know, right in your age group, didn't have the same experience that you have. And they may be being drawn to the Hebraic roots of the faith now, but they still have those memories, uh, family memories, and, and uh, you know, memories of Christmas and Sunday school and all of those things that I guess you didn't. So your experience is a, a bit unique. And I I I hope that in it, though, that our audience can uh, find it helpful still to hear from Michaela um, being down the path a little bit further than some other people, so to speak.
0: Yeah, and, and you can think of it also. I think it's a gift that I can give and pass down to my children and that you gave to me because you were willing to go through this evolution and I watched you go through it, and that was a gift to me to be able to grow up Not with all of the answers, but with perhaps more of the correct questions from my youth. (laughs) And I look forward to giving that to my kids. And I think that's something that people who are just starting out now, who want to have a family in the future, can also look forward to because it is a gift. I've had a really solid, joyful foundation with God, and I've been able to grow and develop. And that's because you took a leap so many years ago and questioned what you were raised with. And I'm grateful.
1: Thanks, Mom. Oh, you're welcome, Michaela. <laughs> I, I, I think about that because I think about it was a very difficult time. It was it was joyful and it was very difficult at my age mm-hmm. to to make that those changes and to make that leap, so to speak. Um, there was a lot of um, response from people that I have known for years, uh, particularly within the church. There was. There was good response, and then there was negative response, and the same was true even within the family, although we have a very, very close-knit family. I was by far the one on the leading edge of this Hebraic stuff, as I'll call it. And I, I remember, and Michaela, I don't know if you remember this specifically. Uh, For instance, my sister at one point, well, let's just put it this way. When When God showed me what he was trying to reveal to me about Israel and the Hebraic roots, I got very, very, very excited, and I literally could not stop talking about it. And I remember my sister looking at me one time when I was in the midst of a how great is Israel kind of thing and how great is Torah, and she looked at me and she goes, just stop with all the Israel stuff. And I was like, with
0: all the Jewish stuff and all the
1: Jewish stuff and the Israel stuff and all of it. It was too much. You know, I was, I was really excited about it. And, Michaela, you probably remember for years as we were eating uh, meals together as a family that they we always used to fix green beans. You know what I'm I'm getting ready to say we used Absolutely, to fix green beans with bacon or ham. and all those years in between where we had what the family identified as uh, Gentile beans and Jew beans. and so um, some had ham in them or bacon and some did not. Do you remember oh, that? I, I-
0: Oh, I I absolutely remember that. And for years, the joke within our family was that they slipped pork into our food. And I mean, it was pretty hostile for the beginning. Of course, there's been a softening of all of our hearts. Not that we all agree, but perhaps there's more understanding now. And, And no one was ever cruel per se, but it was just as if we were becoming aliens and that it was funny almost to them that we would be returning to this ancient path and, and I remember there was hostility, I suppose, uh, an aversion from members of our own family, of course. And from I, I have some memory of other adults who were so perplexed that perhaps they were angry about what we were doing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I have to memories of that. I think I tried to shield you from that. <laughs>
0: right. But kids are perceptive. And our family's pretty loud, yes. <laughs> but it wasn't just in our family. I think I, I think you did shield me from that in many ways. I'm sure there are so many stories I don't know about, but even as a child, I did pick up on the fact that what we were doing was causing a controversy where we were, and it was setting us apart. So I remember the conversations about when I'd be going to school about food. That's always a really clear way to distinguish people is by what we eat. And so that immediately took me from one camp perhaps and put me in a new one, which I loved. I I find so much pride in that. I find so much uh, purpose in that. I'm very grateful for that. But I saw that it was challenging for people to see because they didn't understand and they desperately wanted to put us in one camp or the other and not being able to do that is very frustrating. And I can understand how that could be frustrating But then on the other hand, I had my friends that I grew up with doing theater with. You'll hear me talk about theater frequently because it was a big part of my life. And those friends who had almost no religious background at all absolutely loved everything that we were doing. They still tell me stories about coming to our Sukkot decorating, Sukkah decorating contests and our Pesach and they would do Shabbat with us and they had this idea that they could come to our house they could stay as long as they want they could eat whatever they wanted but then they would have to watch a powerpoint on Israel and that was just what it was <laughs> and
1: and they they responded I do confess to- I did I did make that happen
0: <laughs> yes so they responded very positively so it wasn't all negative response i think there was a, a variation but a, as a child it was predominantly positive and I believe that's also because you shielded me from a lot of the controversy. Well, and I'm not
1: going to say. I mean, we have a very tight knit and loving family, and everyone. Oh yeah. Yes, and uh, you know, uh, on 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 my side of the family, we all we all love Jesus. We uh, Yeshua, as we were trying to teach everybody, his real name, and so we have a lot of support. But it's tricky when um, you're the first one out there trying to make these changes, and. You're well you know, on my side. I know we're we're really talking about your side, but on my side, who am I to make those changes? Who am I to say mm-hmm. that this is the way things should be done, or the way things had been done in the past, and it's changed? I was a nobody, and um, and I'm still a nobody, and so it's hard for people to look. Uh, you know, what good comes from Nazareth? You know, that the family. Oh, yeah, a prophet you know? is never
0: respected in his hometown. Exactly, exactly. Not that you're a prophet, but, no. <laughs> but that idea that you were bringing something new and they had known you in your old way. Right. And so I, I feel that's challenging for people to see people evolve, especially with faith. I, that's something that really inspires me and has inspired me since I was a child about you is watching you evolve with faith. Faith is such a special and powerful force that many people are afraid to paradigm shift, as I know you frequently say on this podcast. But I watched you do that as a young person. And you throughout the Torah, throughout the Bible, God is frequently associated with water, which flows and moves and is this all moving force. And typically Egypt, the oppression is associated with bricks, which is brittle and, and forced into a single way, essentially. And I, I'm grateful because the path that I saw you take was more the path of water, which I believe aligns directly with God. But it's very challenging when we've been living as bricks. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Anytime you're trying to make a change, especially as you get older, as we said, it, it, it is very difficult. And I acknowledge that. Um, for everybody that I knew as I was going through all of that. I, I, I recognized how difficult that was. I know I ran. I was so excited because God was revealing these things to me. And my first reaction was to teach everybody, particularly you, Michaela, I was teaching you literally as quickly as I was learning things. So you were learning things right along with me. I was, you know, much older, but You know, uh, you were learning all of those things right along with me. And so, like I said, for you, they might have seen more second nature than they were for me. But I I think we were blessed in that we had a family that was, for the most part, very supportive because uh, many people in this walk do not have that. And I Mm -hmm. know many people that that's true of. I know it's been very, very difficult in relationships. Um, husband and wife relationships and uh, other family relationships and friends. Uh, it's been very, very difficult. So we were really blessed with a, with a loving, supportive family, even if it was, um, you know, a little tricky from here uh, sometimes. And I, I, I will say that even within our family, that I'm talking 20 years down the road, um, our family has come to know and understand these things much uh, more so than they had at the beginning. There's, it's just an evolution and, uh, God may have put me on the path a little bit ahead of them, but they're walking in that same path. So I'm, I feel very, very blessed. That's not always the case, but in, yes, getting, absolutely. In, in getting back to you, I wanted you to talk about your experience. Um, as you left the house and went off to college and off to establish your own life, um, that's always the point at which somebody has to decide if what they learned as a child is something that they will own as an adult. And if you could just share a little bit about that.
0: When I left the home, I would say that I had a solid foundation, especially in comparison to many of my peers that I met. I felt that I understood my faith. I had had many hours studying it. I had essentially an apologetics for it that I had acquired along the way and and that served me very well in college but still I found myself slipping away from God so I was a theater major and I look back now and I realize that I loved theater so much it was my passion and that theater became my god as anything could become our god little g god and that replaced the real God in my life. And I was blessed because there was an imprint of my faith that was left on me from my parents, from my community that shielded me from diving all the way off the deep end. But I still found that I was slipping and that it was resulting in a great deal of internal chaos because I knew I had tasted the peace of the full word of God. And now I was starting to ignore it. I think I, because I was raised with it, perhaps I was taking it for granted and it was now my turn to find it on my own because you don't realize you're living in Eden until you're cast out of Eden. <laughs> and and that's what I realized too. And also in college, I think so many young people face this. I was consistently challenged. I had notions that are based in my understanding of the word of God about what is good, what is true, and what is beautiful. And in college, those were constantly questioned, constantly challenged, constantly eroded. I believe someone said, Mom, I'm sure you know this, that the goal of a university is to make the child as most unlike their parent as possible.
1: Who said that? I don't remember who said that, but I think that's probably true.
0: (laughs) And I could feel that, absolutely, because it was always a, essentially – did uh, It's like the serpent in the garden. Like, did God really say that? Mm. Is that really what God meant? And that really wore down on me because I'm a person and I felt very alone. Although I wasn't, I realized later, I had very good friends who were also experiencing the same struggles as people of faith trying to navigate this like truly debaucherous culture that is college. And I, I don't, at, at those times I, I did turn to synagogue, which I found fascinating, where some of my other friends were maybe finding a church. I went to a church, and it wasn't for me, per se. It didn't bring me the peace. I'm grateful I've had so many friends who are devoted followers of God who attend Christian church and follow Christian theology, and we love to discuss God together, and, and they have brought me closer to God as well. But I didn't feel that going to church was where I found God, that I met with God. And and predominantly, it's because I wanted to meet with God on Shabbat. So I had to go to synagogue to meet with God on Shabbat. And I wanted to hear the Torah. Of course, I wanted to also hear the word and life of Yeshua. But I wanted to hear the Torah because I was looking for structure. I was looking for a way to live my life. And that's what I felt I was lacking. And so I, I found myself spiritually starving. Essentially, I was desperate for God's word. And then I, flash forward, I'm a senior in college and I'm at the peak of this distance from God. And I'm feeling angry with God because I feel, although this is completely the opposite, I was feeling that God had distanced himself from me. Of course, it was me that distanced myself from God. But regardless, senior year of college, we took a trip to Israel. And I remember it was late at night, and we went to the Western Wall, and I was there praying, and I was thinking, okay, God, I'm getting angry. I'm saying, talk to me now. Why aren't you talking to me? Where have you been? I'm feeling so lonely and angry and confused, and are you even real? Do you even exist? Where are you? How come I'm feeling all this internal chaos? And and then suddenly, and I'm in good company with this story, I imagine, I started weeping And I just collapsed and I felt this nakedness. I imagine this is how Adam and Eve felt. I felt so naked in front of God because I was realizing it was me, that God was waiting for me on Shabbat. But I was at rehearsal or a party and and God was waiting for me in all of the obedience to his word because that's where he promises to meet us. And I wasn't meeting him there. I was missing him. And I had so much remorse that I was missing him because I thought he was missing me and it was just me the whole time. And, and I thought, I I think I thought that I could just do part of the word of God and still reap the benefits. And that was extremely incorrect. And God reminded me of that. And I feel like at that moment, God woke me back up again. And from there forward, this faith, this walk was on my shoulders. That was my coming of age as a follower of the way, if you will.
1: That actually brings us to um, the next topic question that kind of started all of this idea about even doing this podcast. And we've been talking, Michaela and I, about what do we call ourselves, right? Are are we Christians? Are we Jews? Um, you know, we don't seem to fit in either of those places perfectly, uh, by any means, and wondering why. Although I had called myself a Christian for many, many years, Michaela, I don't think you ever really identified that way. I'm using well, that I'll very. Hit for you. I know didn't mean to do that. Sorry. <laughs> um, yes. Sounds very woke, but you, you, I don't think you did identify that way. You, um, as, as a Christian per se. No,
0: I, I didn't. And that's predominantly because we weren't growing up. A, a Christian has a specific culture, a way of worshiping a day that, that they worship a place that they worship. And In my life, I did none of those. And I also remember, actually, at the beginning of your walk, Mom, was a distancing, not from the word of God or from Yeshua, but a distancing from some of the traditions of man that were embedded into the church. And so I knew young that I was not a Christian because I associated Christianity, and and this is largely theologically correct, that most Christians do not believe that. The Torah is still relevant to our lives today, that it is still how we are obedient to God. And from a very young age, I I knew through doing that the Torah was absolutely still alive and well and working and a way to love and serve God. And so I knew I was not a Christian, but the question of what I was was not as big of an issue to me until recently.
1: Yeah, I I I fully agree with that. I think that, like I said I had always called myself a Christian. I know that you haven't, and that's been bothersome to some in the family that you haven't done it yet. There's been this assumption, I think, on your part since you were young that yes, I believe in Yeshua. Um, that's just who I am. But you did not define yourself as a Christian, because you believed in Yeshua, per se, or and I'm not even sure if I'm saying this exactly right. Um, I think the world defines Christians as those who believe in Jesus and Jews are like those who don't. Okay. Right. Um, now, I, I know that's very, very oversimplified. I, I agree with that. But mm-hmm. I don't think you saw it necessarily that way as you grew up. I'm not even sure if you were aware that uh, many Jews don't believe Yeshua was their Messiah. I'm not even sure you knew that because you were hanging out with people that uh, did know Yeshua as their Messiah and also were trying to be Torah observant. So I'm not even sure you knew that.
0: (laughs) Well, I was, if I may answer this with a story, it's a very personal story. Is this appropriate? So this question of, yes, I was young. I was naive I was in love with God. I still am, thank God. And I was not considering the cultural and religious ramifications of the titles of Christian and Jew, because I didn't have the experience in a, as a traditional Christian or a traditional Jew. So I know my experience, Mom, is quite different from yours, because like I said, and like you've said, I have no memory of calling myself a Christian. And this is not to be a to disparage christianity in any way or any people who follow the christian faith but in my personal journey it was not my faith there are there are traditions and there are theologies associated with christianity that i do not partake in and also i i just knew again as a young person that that God was real and that he had expectations of us and those were laid out in the Torah and that Yeshua was extremely real and gave us an incredible gift and was the Messiah. And I absolutely 100% believe that. And, but as a young person, I felt an incredible kinship with Jewish people, which I still feel is very strong. And I'm sure that was partially because I watched a PowerPoint on Israel every other day (laughs) and which I'm grateful for. And I remember as the separation was happening for you, mom, many people calling you a Jew. Of course, at that time, I don't know if it was a compliment or just an observation or what, but people are saying like, oh, so you're a Jew now. And so as a young person, I'm hearing, oh, so this is what Jews do. Jews worship on the Sabbath. Jews celebrate Sukkot. Jews fast on Yom Kippur. And I find myself, I'm doing all of those things. Jews study the Torah in a cycle. Jews reckon by the moon, the cycles of even the, the, the day in the calendar. And I thought, okay, I heard Jew. And I thought, okay, I'm a Jew. It was a pure love, naive response as a child. So I thought, great, I'm a Jew. I, I even remember people would, before I would say what I was frequently because I they would see what I do would say, oh, she's a Jew. I have teachers who used to say, oh, Michaela needs you know special food at lunch because she's a Jew and et cetera, et cetera. Michaela's not coming to the Christmas party because she's a Jew. And that imprinted on me. And I even remember in middle school that I was bullied with Jews. There were kids drawing swastikas on people's stuff and they bullied me too. And they drew swastikas on my stuff. And if bullying can really submit an identity in a child's mind, because at that moment I thought, well, I'm going to be the best Jew the world has ever seen. I'm going to be so Jewish. These bullies are going to wish they were never born and
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's necessarily
0: a theological (laughs) decision I was making it was a it was a life decision it was an experiential decision and and from that point forward anyone who knows me knows that I would just say I'm a Jew I was in Jewish clubs through college I was attending like I said in synagogue in college and I even after college I was asked to be the alumni advisor for the first jewish club on my university's campus i mean this is the level people were coming i was congregating with jews and that was very very comfortable for me and i realized of course as i got older that me and a traditional jew are not the same
1: yes In a but, way that, and that was only as you got older i think i don't think it, it took me a long that.
0: time yeah as a young person because i i just saw when i studied the bible i understood okay Yeshua is a Jew, and the disciples are Jews, and so I had this ancient understanding of Judaism, and I thought, well, those Jews are following Yeshua. I'm like those Jews. That's the kind of Jew I was referencing because I was naive. I, I didn't have an understanding, and in fact, what's interesting is that I surrounded myself with Jews for so long, and we must not have discussed theology because years I just lived that way we just not had, knowing the difference I because guess. we were doing the same things right so it, it wasn't a, a thing at all and and yeah it was until I later this... that I saw the that there I realized that there was a schism and that I was sitting somewhere in between it.
1: And what's interesting, audience, we've talked about, Michaela said, the schism, and we're going to talk more in this series, as uh, this identity crisis series, I think I'll name it, um, about that schism specifically and how and where it started and, um, and, and why it started and how it has continued to um, manifest throughout the years and throughout, throughout history. Um, going all the way back, it's interesting, and I'm just going to make a quick note because I always want to bring it back to the Bible. Um, in Acts 11:26, 26, it tells us the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. And when you go in and really start studying this, it's interesting because it's not saying that those disciples called themselves Christians. It was because they were first called Christians there. But what did they call themselves? And the Bible does tell us that they didn't necessarily call themselves Christians. So in Acts 24, um, the high priest and his companions were accusing the Apostle Paul, and um, they didn't call him a Christian. They were they were accusing him of moving away from Torah, most definitely. Okay, so at this point, you know, he... he um, they were accusing him of moving away for Torah. They knew that he followed Yeshua, right, of Nazareth. So they called him a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He, at that point, this, the, those Jews who believed in, in Yeshua, Jesus, were just a sect of Judaism. And um, they weren't seen as a separate group of people, just a sect. And there were lots of different sects. We all know the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? This was just another sect. But over time, this, this sect uh, separated more as more and more Gentiles came into the fold. Um, the, the differences, the, 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 some of the paganism that they brought in, um, it really caused a, a greater schism, I like that word, Uh, Michaela, that we're still dealing with today that actually impacts your life today and is why we're still having to figure out what we call ourselves. And what I wanted you to uh, just uh, talk about a little bit is, uh, I know you you met, met Dalton in college and he was not where you were in your faith. And I was wondering if you could address that a little bit, because I think that might be helpful to young people, those especially who are in relationships.
0: Mm. Yes, well, it is. It's wise to be equally yoked, 100 percent. I'm realizing that now as a young. Oh, yeah, it's good. It's a good book. (laughs) But I, I when Dalton and I first met, as I said, I was in college and I thought I was drifting It was some of the weakest I've been in my faith in my life. And I pray it will be the weakest and it will be stronger from here. And Dalton had, unfortunately, like so many people, been hurt by the church as a young person and had rejected God after that, which that story is so prevalent that people are hurt by a church or synagogue or what have you early and they reject God. They throw the baby with the bathwater, essentially. And so that happened to him. And when we met, he was and he'll tell you this, I actually asked him earlier to tell this story to me from his perspective, that when he was going to church, he didn't know a single Bible verse. And then when he became an atheist, if you will, as a young person, he didn't really do any research on that either. It was never really about knowledge per se. It was. he, He told me that what it was, was that he did not have ears to hear. And so when it was told to him, he didn't have the ears to hear. And he told me when he when we met and we started dating, and I don't know if I necessarily recommend to others that you date somebody who disagrees with you on a religious level, but God's merciful and God made it good. My, God made it beautiful in so many ways. And I'm so, so grateful to God because that's an answer to so many prayers. But when we first met, we really challenged each other for years and years about truly just the existence of God. And over time, Dalton learned, Dalton learned full stop. He read the Bible hoping to disprove the Bible as so many people do and wasn't able to. And that slowly changed. And he had interactions with godly people that were godly, which is fundamental, including from me and from my family and from our friends that surrounded him. That when they saw great, he saw grace from them and love and service, but he also saw obedience and discipline so real fruits of the spirit were being seen and he told me and this is really important that what did it for him was not about belief because he was asked so frequently maybe in christianity to believe first just believe just trust in your heart but what it was for him was the doing so before he believed i asked him if he would start praying if he would start keeping the sabbath if he would start keeping kosher if he would fast with me on yom kippur and that, over the years, he told me, opened up his ears and changed. It, it opened the door for belief for him. And that's why he now is so passionate. If you know him, you know that if he does anything, he does it 120%. And he's so passionate about the Torah because it was a way in. And I, I see that for people now. When I hear people talking about falling away from their faith, they'll say they didn't feel it anymore. They don't believe. They, they can't figure out the idea of belief. It's such a big crazy word it's like love and so that's sometimes too big for people but it's not too big it says it in in the Torah that the Torah is not too hard for you you don't have to go up in heaven and reach for it you don't have to go down to the depths it's it's there and you can do it and that message is is so so crucial for people especially I think in my generation who lack uh rules discipline who are raised with this, everything is possible, and they have no structure in their lives. We need a way, not only, we need a God that interacts with us and and disciples us and disciplines us on earth right now in the practical and the day-to-day. And that's what Torah gave me, and that's what Torah gave my husband. And so for me now, there's, there's no abandoning Torah because now I've seen Torah opening the door for Yeshua and Yeshua holding the door open for Torah. It's this revolving door of godliness and it, it changed his life and it changed our life. So I, I would say for people who are in a relationship, I think marriage is different than dating. I think if you're married, all you can do is pray and pray and pray that you will, and God will open the door and be faithful and follow what the Torah says and what the Bible says, all, all of it. And that if you're dating, you have to pray and pray and pray, but you might, I, I feel that God made, our relationship good, and he can do that for other relationships, but also now being married, I know why you need to be equally yoked with your partner, because Torah, it says, Torah is not, Torah is your life, so God is your life, there's not like your life and then your marriage, they're one, and so it's important that you get on the same page and that you share with the people that you love the truth that you know, even if you think they're not going to like it.
1: I think that that actually leads us to something Dalton said when I was there last uh, last time visiting you when we were having this discussion about, are you a Christian or a Jew? And Dalton, and we were like, what do we call ourselves? And Michaela, you remember this conversation on a mm-hmm. walk in the Sabbath? And uh, Dalton said, you know, maybe we don't need to call ourselves anything. Um, he, he understands now that the Hebraic way of, of things is that, You just do what you believe, and so people see what you do. They can decide to call you whatever you want, but we don't have to put ourselves into a box per se because it's um, it is much bigger than that. And you can't put God in a box. And if we're trying to imitate God, then you know maybe you can't put us in a box either. Yeah, I'm of two minds on this because I agree that God,
0: at the end of the day, doesn't care what we called ourselves. He cares about what we do and what's in our hearts as we know. He cares about the full fullness of our faith. And and many people can be very upset about labels, about lack of labels, about the wrong label. And I found that, for example, Messianic Judaism was the made the most sense for me. And I've found recently that that can be very offensive to Jewish people. I'm not saying that that should deter anyone from Messianic Judaism, but I'm saying that's just true, that there are some Jewish people that find that term offensive. And there are some Christian people, actually, that could find Hebraic Christianity offensive, which is another term that I've heard. Um, I, I understand now that to call myself a Jew was upsetting for some people. And, and so I had to say, OK, what's more important? It, God calls me to be a servant. To his people. And if a label is in between me and being a servant, then, then the label is not more important than the than the doing of God's word. And so I had to really work that I'm still working that out. I don't think I have the answer, per se. But I do think that there is something to it's really about what we do. And that labels us, I'll say at work, I don't work on the Sabbath. And I said that when I got hired that I I won't do it. And sometimes other people do work on the Sabbath at my job. But now even without having to put a label to myself per se i am the sabbath keeper and god says that's our label he says that in the torah that that will be a sign of my people yes and
1: is seen as it's a sign and so
0: now i know though that at work people are watching me so if i keep the sabbath but then i'm a lying cheating gossiper this is no good (laughs) so the labels are very not to be taken lightly and i don't just mean what we call ourselves but when we're out in the world saying that we are practicing Torah to the best of our ability, God willing, we we probably need to add God willing to the best of our ability <laughs> <Amen>. <laughs> to, that, to that sentence because people will be watching us and we're not supposed to be haughty with any of this knowledge. We're supposed to be humble servants. I mean, the only reason God would even allow us open our eyes and give us ears to hear is because he thinks that we can be of service to his kingdom. And so I think That also. That, but on the other hand, it's very Jewish of me. On the other hand, I, I think it's a crisis not of identity but of community, especially for young people. Is there where do I gather? Who am I with? And we know that we are supposed to gather. That's also in the scriptures that we're supposed to gather with like-minded believers because that will strengthen our faith. And my husband and I just moved to Dallas completely alone, and we had to say, where are we going to go on Shabbat? What are we going to do on the on the high holy days, who are we going to be with? And those questions are much more important than what we call ourselves, because God does call us to gather and, but also calls us to be set apart. So do with that what you will, circumstance to circumstance.
1: I love that on one hand and on the other hand, basically. Yes. Yes. Gather together and and be set apart. (laughs) Yeah. Do both. Good luck. (laughs) Michaela, there's, there's so much that we, I wanted to talk about in this podcast, and I'm already finding out that we're not probably going to get through everything that we had wanted to talk about as we plan out these things. Um, would you like to um, share, I, I had asked you a question, um, uh, to, to share a particular difficulty you've had as a follower of Yeshua and someone who tries to obey Torah, Um, At the same time, I think you've alluded to that. Uh, Was there anything specific you wanted to say? I know you and Dalton are trying to honor the Sabbath. Um, uh, We can maybe come back and revisit some of these specifically. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, I suppose the biggest issue of sitting squarely in the middle, well, first there's a social dilemma, which is the crisis of community. For some of us, some of us have a community and and I grew up in a community and this was not a crisis for me until I was out on my own in a new place trying to form a new one. And maybe that's, maybe God's doing this for a reason. Maybe he wants me to be very specific in who I seek out and gather with. I can't just gather under the label of a building, perhaps. Perhaps, I I just thought of that right now. But uh, the other challenge I think is that people are desperate to categorize and and i understand that that's human nature it helps us sort through the world and how to associate and interact with each other but it can be very frustrating to people i've had many people say like which one christian or jew which one are you you know pick one and and that can be challenging to navigate on a social front while remaining godly because it it i'm human and it bothers me it really bothers me when people are asking me or are insisting that i cannot have i you know earlier mom i printed out and i was telling you about i looked up just online like what are the differences between judaism and christianity and i was highlighting on both sides of this chart and i was like well there i am somewhere squarely in the middle i tended slightly theologically more towards judaism but still i was all over the map and so when people ask I think that I think that can be challenging. I think it can be very tempting to to go one way all the way or another way all the way. So I've heard stories of people who enter the Hebraic roots movement and they want so desperately to be accepted in the Jewish community that they deny Yeshua, which cannot be done. Cannot be done, but will be done for the sake of community, which is which is not what God is asking us. But I've also heard people who maybe begin their walk into following Torah, but then they so desperately wanna be part of their church community that slowly they will slip back in to the ways of perhaps the traditional church, regardless of their biblical basis on both sides. There's no, Judaism is not perfect. Christianity is not perfect. There's no faith, I'm not perfect. None of these faiths are perfect, but there's a temptation to fit into a box, but I think that God is working with us in this wilderness. I know He's working with me here because I'm deeply uncomfortable, which seems to be where God meets me. Whenever someone asks me what I believe, I have this moment of like, "Oh gosh, like I'm going to have to explain to you all of the high holy days and all like, and all of how prophecy alludes to Yeshua in the Old Testament, and like, it's going to be this whole long conversation, and that's so socially challenging, but it does not. But it's. Not, I would not abandon it because it also gives me peace, and it, and I feel not only that I feel it's true, I believe it to be true, which is much more important than being comfortable. Thank was you. Was that even your question?
1: Yes, I think it it was kind of my question, and there's actually a lot that we continue to talk about. We can continue to talk about, and maybe if the audience wants to hear more of our conversations, we can share more with the conversations, but. We're going to have to uh, wrap it up at this point, and I want to really thank you, Michaela, for taking the time to, to share with all of us today. And I, I hope for our audience that her story and her experiences were enlightening and maybe helpful to you as you navigate through the restoration of all things. I think the best way to end today is with a very clear and concise statement of Yeshua's, because he tended to be very clear and concise. Oh, are you
0: about to wrap up? Am I allowed to cut you off? Oh, really <laughs> I guess
1: you are, yes. <laughs> Mother, may I please? Yes, you may.
0: I just had, you had uh, asked me to prepare some advice maybe for other people. I'd really like to share that, if I yes, may. Yes, you may, of
1: course. And then I'll conclude. Really and then you conclude. conclude. I yes. promise we'll yes, conclude. Yes, no. <laughs> We'll conclude not, with Jesus' words after Michaela's words. Which, yes, he is a
0: better yes. finisher much better finisher but you asked me specifically about advice in relationships family with jews and christians and then overall so i'll go quickly through this but i think in general if you're walking this walk in relationships there's a temptation to withhold what you know to be true what god is revealing perhaps to keep to protect the comfort of others around you but that's not loving in the the biblical sense. So I, I, I would say in all relationships, share what God is sharing with you, like my mom shared it with me, and that will bear good fruit because God promises that his word won't come back empty and neither will his revelations. But then with our family, it's important that we honor our family. So it says, as we go to follow Torah, we part of Torah is honoring your mother and father, right? Honoring your family. You don't reject your family when you reach these schisms, uh, so you have to honor your family and approach this with a real sense of love because we're all walking in different places in our in our journey. And, and it's important that we don't lose godliness as we pursue God and try to persuade others to pursue God wholeheartedly and however they do that. And for for Jewish people, because now I know I've learned so much. After all these years of calling myself a Jew, which I'm I'm not doing currently because I don't want it to be a, a block. Because I I know I approach Jewish people who have, as Ruth did, I'm saying, May I please gather at the edges of your field, may I sojourn with your people, may I learn with your people. God chose you first. God gave you the Torah. Yeshua came through your people, for your people first. And I have no intention of replacing you. I am here exclusively to serve you and to learn from you because I believe that's what I've been called to do by the same God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I think it's very important that we mend this relationship because many people who uh, I've met many Jewish people who feel that if you believe in Yeshua, that you are coming to replace them instead of to serve them. And that makes me desperately sad because I believe that the restoration of all things, which I'm sure you're about to quote from Yeshua, (laughs) the restoration of all things will be us coming together, but we have to, I know I have to humble myself because I'm a sojourner here, a grateful, zealous sojourner, but a sojourner in this this field of gods, essentially. And then overall, if you could do just a few overall things, one, I was going to say, study the word and do what it says, even when you don't want to, which is, Truthfully, if you can do that, that'll take the rest of your life, plus some. It takes I'm not even close. And for anyone who's feeling uncomfortable in their I- identity, if you will, it's so modern to say, but about who's maybe in a crisis of community, as I said, I believe God is calling us Jews and Christians into the wilderness where we will meet God and meet each other and that we have to be willing to let go of what we've been raised with and continue to walk into the wilderness where God hopefully will come down the mountain and meet us.
1: Amen. Thank you, Michaela. I am excited about the restoration of all things. I'm excited about everything that God is doing. I'm excited as he's bringing Jew and Gentile together um, to create this one new man and I, I, as I said, I just wanted to, to, to end with something simple. It's not the restoration quote. I started there, um, and I'll definitely come back to it. But um, it, it kind of brings together the two worlds. Uh, John fourteen fifteen, Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You know, Yeshua's commandments were, of course, those given by his Father, These commandments were the ones he demonstrated throughout his life. He was, of course, referring to keeping the Torah, the very Torah he declared that he had not come to abolish. He was keeping Torah as an example to us, and it was only by keeping Torah perfectly that he qualified to be the perfect, sinless sacrifice. So I think that these words from Yeshua bring together this idea loving him with all of his heart it's not inconsistent with keeping His commandments. Both, both of these um, can come together as one, and they do come together as one in Yeshua, our Messiah. Thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, remember what the psalmist said, those who love your Torah have great peace, and nothing causes them to stumble.
2: Thank you for listening. Please join us next time on Torah Talk.